You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. How are we doing? Hey, it's good to see you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just look around the people around you, smile, say hello, say hi. I mean, say it loud and proud. And you, sir, if you're watching this at midnight on Tuesday, don't go wake up your wife to say hi. I will not be responsible for the fallout from that. I am so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I missed you guys. We were, uh, you've heard of storm chasing. We were storm fleeing uh, for the last uh, few days, weeks, uh, whatever it was. We made it through her, uh, tropical storm Gamma and then uh, through Hurricane Delta. My wife and I were in the Yucatan Peninsula um, for a quiet, relaxing, sun-soaked vacation. It got soaked, all right. Uh, but I'm glad to be home. Thank you for, for being so wonderful. And, and uh, go to Psalm 8 and Romans 5. That's where we're going to be um, this weekend. And um, got a long way to go in a short time to get there with this, 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 uh, the passages that we're going to be working through and what God's laid on my heart. I've had two weeks to kind of build up on this. So uh, you're in for it this weekend. Uh, the series, God is greater than, greater than, and, and it really is dealing with idols. When, when we were praying about this series, God really just laid it on my heart that, that we can easily set things up as ultimate and put those in place of God in our life. And, and God is greater than anything because he's over all of creation. Where, where this really came, I was studying through Colossians 1, one of my favorite chapters in, in scripture, the supremacy of Christ. And uh, just a reminder that, that there is no other name but the name of Jesus, that everything is under his dominion and under his rule and under his authority. And the things that we put, we try to put in front of his dominion and authority really become idols. And we, we, we've got to tear those down because God is greater. A major idol that we, we tend to build up is me. I mean, not just me, but you, me, me, me. We build up me as an idol, and we kind of start putting ourselves, and we try to make ourselves greater than God, and, and uh, that's where we're going to really spend some time. So if you uh, meet me in Psalm 8, but I, I was studying through this, and, and I, I couldn't help but go through Job because, you know, when you go through a difficult situation, you think of Job, right? I mean, Heather and I are trying to get out of a situation where, where, where they're evacuating because of a hurricane. And, and I don't play by the rules really well, you know, so instead of getting on a bus and going to a shelter, we go to the airport, we rent a Jeep, and we head west, man. I would much rather be in, in I, I want to be behind the wheel. Um, so maybe I'm, I'm identifying some areas of my life I need to submit to God, right? Uh, but we're just praying, God, we need you to help us in this. And, and I just, uh, as hard as it got in those moments, um, I just, I just kept thinking, man, God, you're still good and you're still in control and I'm trusting you with this. And I thought of Job and, you know, Job went through a really difficult time in life. I mean, the enemy was really having his way with him and Job was, he was complaining before God. He said, I, I just want to know what it is I've done, what sin, what it is, what is the deal? And he has some friends that come and sit with him, but there's one friend that speaks into him. His name's Elihu. And, and he just, he, he, he takes Job to task. And he says in Job 33, 12, he says, you're not right in all of this questioning, Job. You're not right in that. I'm faultless. And there's no one that's faultless. You're not right. And I will answer you for God is greater than man. I mean, I could just pray and we could go home now. Okay. Cause I think we got that, but the Holy Spirit's given me so much more to say uh, around this. Some of you are like, great, don't worry. We'll get you out of here on time. Um, 
Psalm 8, I love Psalm 8, and uh, it's a psalm, it's really a messianic psalm, and uh, it's written by David. It starts out this way. I'm going to read the whole psalm, and then we're going to come back through it. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David is pouring out his heart, and he's having this, there's a reality check that's happening in this moment of praise. I mean, he starts out with, God, your, your name is above everything. How great is your name? There's no name greater. You set, you set your glory in the heavens. You created all this. Out of the mouth of babies, the, your, your glory is being declared. Your enemies scatter. I mean, God, you are just huge. You're massive. And, and, and I just, I'm just feeling that, that, that you're just so big. And you're so grand and you're so incredible. It's this reality check that when we, when we face something, when things don't go our way, we've got to have that moment of clarity, that moment of reality check of it, this is a smallness that I'm experiencing, yet God is over it all. And, and he begins to really work in us. And then he says that, that you, you who, is, who am I? And when I look at how large creation is, who am I in the scope of all this? I'm a speck of dust. And what happens is when we start to realize our smallness compared to God's bigness, it really starts to humble us. And then what really gets beautiful is that who who am I that you're mindful of us and God's mind is set on us. That's the incredible thing. When we look at the expanse of all of creation and we see the bigness of God and our smallness compared to who he is, he still considers us. Not only does he, he think about us, but, but when you go on in verse five, you've, you've made him a little lower than the angels. He created us in his image. He didn't create, God said, let us make man in our image. He didn't say, let us make an equal he said, let us make him in our image. And, and I, 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 have to be, I have to repent about a joke that I used to make when I talked about God forming the dust and breathing that like all men are just dirt bags. I, God challenged me on that this week. He goes, he goes, no, the dirt bag part came after sin, but you were made in the image of God. It's not just, hey, in all the bigness and expanse, I thought, what else can I create? I took my image and I created man in my image. That's Psalm 126. He, he, he declared dominion and authority and gave it to us. He, he created us in his image, and he told us to work the land. He told Adam when he created him, work the garden. I mean, we, we think that because of sin, work entered. No, work existed before sin. The difference was work was a lot more fulfilling because it was, it was in the context of perfection. 
But then when sin entered, that's when everything, that's when everything got hard. I mean, when you, look at, when you look at sin happening, God said, let us create man in our image. And he, made, he formed the dust and he breathed his spirit into, into the dirt. And, and, and out of that comes a spiritual being that has a soul that is in the image of God. And he's given dominion and authority over the living creatures and all the things in the earth. That Adam had, he had a, a, a d- dominion. And, and, then, and then he creates Eve and sin enters and they, they go, they, they take the bite of the forbidden fruit and, and sin enters and all of a sudden their eyes are open and, and, and death is open. And, and in Genesis chapter 3, 16 through 19, God declares what's going to happen from that. He says, it, it's not going to go well because see, you had full focus on me. You, you, I walked with you in the cool of the day. We had nothing hindering our relationship. And you, your disobedience has now opened your eyes to sin. And now death is coming in. And death will be a system that you have to deal with. And I'm going to redeem it. But that's the way it is now. He cast them out of the garden. He says to Eve, you're going to have pain in your childbirth. Sorry, ladies that are expecting soon. But blame Eve. But you're going to have pain in childbirth. But he says your desire is going to be for your husband. And he will lord it over you. So what happens in that moment is the covenantal relationship of marriage just got difficult. You now have not just a disconnect between man and God, you have a disconnect in in, in the covenant relationship, man and wife. God created them, male and female, said for this reason a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and the two become one flesh. That one flesh has a a challenge now because of the fall. To Adam, he says, you're going to toil, you're going to work this ground by the sweat of your brow and it's going to produce thorns and thistles and by, by your by your sweat, you're going to produce bread, and that's going to be all the days of your life. And from dust you came, dust you'll return. So work became challenging. So what we see is now the system of the world has become a challenge, that it has now moved away from a focus on God and in that harmony of relationship with God. And Adam's original disobedience now means you and I inherited that nature. I mean, now go, to, go over to Romans chapter 5 because what happens is Jesus, Jesus has to come in. And even in, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, you see a foreshadowing of Jesus even in the very beginning. Because in in verse 21, God showed his love for Adam and Eve that he made garments of skin and clothed them. This is the first experience of death we see in Scripture. In order for those animals to give up their skin to clothe Adam and Eve, the Lord made that skin. The animals died. There was blood that was shed to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. Even then, you see Jesus. And in Romans chapter 5, kind of gives us a breakdown of all of this when it, it, it teaches us that in Adam, because Adam sinned, all have sinned. He, he goes into a, lot, a great detail. If you, when you have time this week, read all of Romans chapter 5. Bring the context in. I just want to share with you the, the highlights to, to tie in so you understand when Adam sinned, there was a change of kings. See, remember, Adam was given dominion over the earth. Adam, Adam is ruling. That's what He has authority. And when he sinned, there's a change of kings. No, Adam is no longer in dominion and authority. Romans tells us that because of Adam's sin, death reigned. Death reigned from the time of Adam. That became the operating system. But even in all of that, 
verse 8 is a beautiful one. You probably heard Romans 5, 8 so many times. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that whole verse. But I love the first two words. The system's broken, but God. But Adam sinned, and because Adam sinned, all of us are working from a broken perspective. Yes, but God. But death is reigning, and we see it playing out all around us, but God. There was nothing Adam and Eve could do to get themselves back into favor with God and get back to the place in the garden they once had, but God, who is rich in his mercy, who still loves us, even in the death state, even in the brokenness, while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our transgressions, Christ died for us. And we see verse 17 teaches us that, for if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, because of one man's trespass, death reigned, through that one man, much more. If you've got your Bible, get a pen, a highlighter, whatever, underline much more. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. The much more isn't just a reestablishment of what Adam and Eve had in the garden. The much more, the, the, the power of the cross, the finished work of the cross. That's why we sing hallelujah for the cross because the finished work of Christ on the cross didn't just get Adam and Eve back to good or get us back to that place. It was much more because now we are reestablished in, in a rule and a reign as the redeemed, as the righteousness of God, and much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. So God, we, can't, we can't outrun God's grace. We can't escape God's grace. And the free gift of righteousness, we don't deserve it. He gives it to us. We will reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So our dominion, our authority, our power, our ability doesn't come from me. It comes from the one man, Jesus Christ, that when we are submitted in relationship to him, then we have authority. We're plugged into the power source and we rule and reign with him. Not only here, but in, 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 he says, you will rule with me in heaven. It's an incredible promise. It's much more grace. It's much more righteousness. It's, it's, it's the much more is this. It's making us look like Jesus. It's not looking like Adam did before he sinned. It's not looking like Eve did before she sinned. It's, it's us by the grace and righteousness of Jesus being imparted onto us that we look like Jesus. That's the beauty of what he's doing. The, the author of Hebrews, he quotes Psalm 8. He says, it was testified somewhere. You know, that's what I'll say when I can't remember the chapter and verse where it's at. It's in the Bible. I mean, we'll be in staff meetings sometimes, and they'll go, what was that verse? I go, it was in the, it's in the Bible. Uh, it's New Testament. But he, the author of Hebrews in chapter 2 says, it was testified somewhere that, that, that who, who am I? Who is, who is man that God is mindful of him? He requotes this son, this psalm. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and with honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. But he goes on to say this. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, 
and this is, this is where we are, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. I mean, I, I can speak firsthand for that. Because I'm driving through storms. I mean, our, our prayer team, our staff, our elders, our board, our prayer team, when we saw the little map, the weather map, and that the sign for the hurricane had strengthened from a two to a three, and they were forecasting a three to be a four when it hit the Yucatan Peninsula, man, we were praying. We were praying this. Pray that it weakens and turns right. It ain't happened, y'all. It got stronger and kept coming towards us. But we don't see all things in subjection to us yet. We still have plagues because he, he, he says this. He said, um, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste the death for everyone. So we still see plagues. <laughs> We're living in one right now, Right? We still see storms. We still see earthquakes. We still see fires. I mean, look at how much of our nation has been devastated by wildfires. So it's the not yet. We still see a lot of mess, right? We don't see the fullness of, the, 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 of creation in subjection under the rule and authority of man or fully in this context that we can have dominion over it. But what, what the author of Hebrews is saying, but we see him. Namely, Jesus. We see Jesus. So when Heather and I are going through all these challenges last week, we could still see the hand of God at work. When Abby was, was giving us a, a, she was testifying earlier before that song. And I'm proud of my baby girl. She's just, oh, I love that. But even in that, when, thing, when, when the, the situation isn't under our control, we still see Jesus if we're willing to look for him, if we're willing to focus on him, if we're willing to look, look out and find him. The challenge is when we lose focus on him, we stop seeing him, and we start seeing everything around us. We start seeing the situation, and then what happens is, is we, we try to exert dominion and rule and authority out of our ability, and we start relying on me. We start thinking, I can, I, can, I can manage this. I can do this. And, and, and when, we, when we do that, we start to build this idol called me. I have the ability to get out of the situation. I have the ability to control this. I have the ability to affect the outcome in my favor. We, we, start, we start building ourselves up like that. And, and how we get there, here's the mindset of how we get there. It, it's, it's really spiritual isolation. We spent too much time in isolation this year as it is. But when we let ourselves fall into spiritual isolation, it gets real dangerous and our, our, the spiritual nature in us becomes weak. And then we start to, to make compromises and sacrifices and ultimately we start to say, I'm the only one who has input in this decision. We, we start to compartment, compartmentalize the decisions in our life and, and we get into, into to conversations with ourselves like this, like I don't need to pray about that. It's a promotion. I don't need to pray about that. Well, the promotion means we're going to have to move, but man, it's a promotion. I don't need to pray about that. Thank you, Jesus. And we, 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 I've, I've seen this, and I'm not saying every time is the case, but I've seen this where, where people, they move away, and they never prayed about it, 
and there's, there's no peace about it because they're not asking God for peace to lead. And what happens is they disconnect from that source of spiritual support and they get into isolation. Let me, let me help you with some things you might be praying about. God will never lead you to a place that your faith will die. God will lead you to the wilderness, yes. God will lead you to the desert. And the, way, the reason he does that is because something needs to die, but it's not going to be your faith it's not going to be your marriage. It's not going to be your relationship with your kids. God's not going to put those things like, hey, I'm going I'm to take him out so his marriage suffers and dies. We've got to get to a place where we're, we're, we're focusing in on God and we, got, we have spiritual community around us. We've got to be praying about this and seeking the, the wisdom of God and the peace of God. My, a driving verse for me is Isaiah 26.3. He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Heather and I don't make big decisions without the peace of God. And and when I don't feel the peace, I pull a Moses. In Exodus, God's like, you go ahead, you stiff-necked people. I don't want to go with you. You're you're prideful. You're idolatrous. I I just go. Moses is like, "Mm -mm, mm mm-mm. I ain't going unless you're going. When I don't feel the peace of God, I'm parking right there. There's a lot of things that, that the enemy tempts us with. Like, I don't even need to pray about that. And we start thinking, because I got this. I got this. It, this plays, here's how it plays out when we, when we put the focus on me. I make my needs and my wants ultimate in my fulfillment. When I make an idol of myself, it becomes my needs and my wants become the priority and become ultimate because my fulfillment is more important. I, 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 you know, and we justify, and maybe it's just me. I, I, listen, I need this message preached to me, okay? But we get to a point of going, I deserve this. I've worked hard for this. I want this. I can make it happen, so I'm going to make it happen. And I just completely s- separate everything else and make my want ultimate. Or we get to a point of like, I have needs. I have needs, God. I have these needs, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure my needs are met. Now, that doesn't mean we just go, I'm not going to work. I'm, not, I'm just going to wait for somebody to feed me. No, we work. We have to pursue the meeting of needs. But when we make our need ultimate, and it's Matthew 6, right? I mean, Jesus said, look, the birds of the air, they don't look for their food. They, they, God provides the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of those lilies. And, and God knows you need these things. Why? Pagans are the ones that run around chasing all these things because I've got needs and my needs have to be met. And Jesus tells us, he gives us a fundamental truth. God knows you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these will be added unto you. What, what, wait, there's that righteousness again. Much more through the one man Jesus in the abundance of grace and righteousness. When I seek his righteousness, when I seek him, when he becomes the ultimate focus and my needs are prioritized under him, he begins to provide ways of, of meeting my needs. When Heather and I look back over the events of, of running from Hurricane Delta, it didn't go the way we had planned or were praying for, but I can tell you this, we can look back and we can even look in that storm and see the hand of God moving with favor through every step of the way. 
And I'm not going to focus on the storm. I'm not going to focus on my need in the storm. I'm going to focus on you, Jesus, because you're the one that has dominion and authority over this storm. Jesus has all the dominion. Do you remember when the disciples were in the boat with him? The storm came up. They're freaking out. Jesus, we're going to drown. Why'd you bring us? I can't swim. And Jesus is like, hey, calm down. Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves calm. What do they say? Who is this? Who is this that he has dominion, he has authority, and even the wind and the waves obey his name? Who is this? This is Jesus who set everything right by the finished work of the cross. And when I make my needs ultimate, ultimately what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you. I trust myself. And when I put my trust in myself, I've just made an idol. He goes on, I make my accomplishments ultimate in my identity. I, I, look at, I look at the work of my hands, and I think, man, I've done some good stuff. I built that. I did that. I did that. You find yourself on a mountaintop, I got myself here. And we look at our accomplishments and think, that's, that's me. Go me. The problem is we think our accomplishments are our own doing. Go back to Psalm 8. The stars and the heavens that declare your glory were placed by your fingers. There's nothing I can do like that. I mean, God even gives us a word in Isaiah chapter 44. He talks about the folly of this. He said, think about your accomplishments. And here's how easy it is for us to make idols out of anything, even ourselves. But he, he gives the log analogy. He says, he says consider the folly of this, that, that you'll, you'll, you'll plant a seed and you'll grow a tree. Now, you don't grow it. it it's God that provides the environment, the, the wind, the water, everything, the nurturing for that tree to thrive and survive. And then he goes, by your hand, you cut it down, yes. And then you, make a, you cut a log. And with that log, you use half of that log to build a fire. And you go, I have made fire. And then you bake bread over that fire, over the coals, and you go, I've made bread and satisfied myself. And then what's left of that log, you take with your hands and you fashion an idol. He said, how foolish is that? It's the same. There's nothing about this. He says, what we've done is we've taken our accomplishments, and he calls it an abomination in Isaiah 44. And he says, this, this, is, this is like us bowing down to a block of wood. And we do this even with ourselves. I did this. I have the power. I accomplished this. Go me. And he said, it's, it, you're, you're, you're taking the image of God that I created you in, and now you're making an abomination because you're setting yourself up as an idol. You've made your accomplishments the ultimate in your life, and, and, and pride really moves into there. If, if our uh, vocabulary talks about what I have done, and I accomplished, and I can do this, and I did this, and I made this, if there's too many eyes in our vocabulary, we, we need to have a little bit of that reality check. Get yourself out of the city lights and look at the stars. And let that reality check lead you to this. Who am I that you would think about me? So we, we look at needs and wants, our accomplishments, and then we, I make my behavior ultimate in my justification. I, I, I start to fall into the trap of comparison. Well, I didn't, I'm not that bad. 
I mean, it's interesting when I, when I have conversations and it comes around where they find out I'm a pastor. It's, it's a whole different conversation at that point. But it's like, oh, they, they're, they're, they're replaying all of their vocabulary. You know, did I drop any F-bombs? Did I? You know, you can see it. I can see it in their, their eyes. You can't hide that. They're like, what, what did I say in front of him? Because I didn't know he was a pastor. Now I know he's a pastor. But when we talk about faith, when we talk about believing in Christ and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the response, oh, I'm a good person. Well, what we're doing is we're making our behavior, what we do or don't do, how we behave or don't behave, we make our behavior ultimate in my justification. Somehow thinking my behavior has the ability to save me. Remember, through one man's trespass, through Adam's trespass, his sin, all have sinned. Death reigned from the time of Adam, and Christ had to set that right. I don't possess the ability to save myself. I can't go and do this. The problem is when I start comparing myself with other people, it's a flawed measurement. It's, it's, It's my folly trying to drive. I'm used to miles per hour. And I'm used to miles. I'm not used to kilometers and kilometers per hour. And when you ask somebody how far is it, and they say 10 kilometers, I'm like, I guess we'll know when we get there, honey. But the problem is when I try to compare myself and and try to elevate my goodness compared to yours, I start with a flawed measurement. If, if we're going to look at salvation, we've got to look at perfection. And perfection is Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. And we get, here, here's where you can kind of fall out of that trap of, of saying, well, my sin's not like theirs or something. In, in Romans 8, um, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 14, it says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Because we could go, well, I'm good. I didn't eat the fruit. I mean, I, I lied, but I didn't eat the fruit. So I shouldn't be condemned. He's like, no, no. We're all on the same playing field, y'all. All, here's what we realize. All have sinned, Romans 3. All have sinned. That's every one of us. And sin is sin because it doesn't matter if we sin like Adam or sin like anybody else. We sin in. And that puts us on level ground. And all of our best behavior that we lay before God, Isaiah 64 says, it's like filthy rags. If we try to look at our goodness, not only is it a flawed measurement, God says it's, it, it's, it's dirty. I can't accept this. And at the end of the day, I need a Savior, and it's not me. I, don't possess, I, I do possess abilities and talents that God has given me, but none of those are to save myself. None of those are to take the, the, the balance of my sin and erase it. And I need a Savior, and only Jesus can be that. So what's the fix? What's the fix to get me out of the hot seat here, me off of the trying to be ultimate in life? The fix is to go back to Psalm 8 with Jesus in focus. Who am I that you're mindful of? When we look at that, when we look at the bigness of God, it's this. We allow the finished work of Jesus to bring balance to our life 
through humility and worship. Through humility and worship. I see how big you are, God, and I see how small I am, and it humbles me. And you have set the stars by your fingers. I wor- how majestic is your name, O oh Lord. David is humbled and he's worshiping the almighty God, the creator of everything and the sustainer of life, the one who holds him in his mighty right hand. And you see the majestic glory of God and the smallness that we are in his bigness. And then let that reorient our priorities fixed on Jesus. Let me, let me, let me, let me chat with, uh, with us about this priority talk because it's, this is, God's been working me on this. Because we're, we're, we're list people, right? We have grocery lists, we have lists, and here's number one, here's number two, here's number three. I mean, we're in sports, every sports season, who's number one, who's number two, who's number three. So we're used to lists. And when we try to work the priorities of life that way, it just doesn't work. I mean, because I've always taught that, that, you know, okay, number one is number one. It's, it's God. It's, it's my relationship with God. It is God. I'm a pastor, but I can't say that's my relationship with God. If my relationship with God isn't number one, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a good pastor. I'm not even a pastor at all because God says, you're doing your own thing. So God is first. And then we say, okay, so I'm married, so marriage is second. And I got kids. Kids are third. I got grandkids. Those are fourth. And then I got a job. So that kind of comes down here because I'm, pa- I'm a pastor. You have a job too. And so we start, to, we start to do that. And what happens is one of those areas starts spinning out of balance and we kind of elevate it, right? And God's really showing me, he, he didn't, when he created everything and when he set the stars in motion, he didn't set them in a linear fashion. He set them in orbit. And when I think about priorities now, here's how I think about priorities. What's my orbit like? What am I, what is Matt revolving around? Because what I revolve around is what I've allowed to become ultimate in my life. So when I allow the, the, the power and the grace and the beauty and the majesty of God to realign and fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, he becomes the center of me. And everything in Matt's life revolves around Jesus. And what happens is I now have the ability, the authority to allow or disallow things to come into my orbit. I got married. I wanted to get married. That's in my orbit now. We had kids. They're in my orbit. I have a job. They're in my orbit. I have responsibility. Listen, you have responsibility for what you allow in that orbit. Praise God. I'm fasting football this year. You can hate me or you can love me, whatever. It's not your feedback I'm after. But thank God I'm, I'm, that's not in my orbit because I'm a Cowboys fan. And I would be, I would be tore up right now. But you've got to be careful about what you allow in that orbit. That means that you have to exercise some dominion and authority that comes through reigning through the one man, Jesus, who has to be at the center, right? I mean, it is so easy, and I can just tell you from experience, it's so easy to pull God off of the throne or Jesus out of the middle and put something else in. And I can tell you from personal experience, it doesn't work. And we live in a society and a culture and the struggle's real and things are spinning out of balance and we need this truth because the culture we live in makes it all about me. And if you don't agree with me, then you're the one that's got the problem. 
And we've allowed ourselves to put me at the center. And the problem is when you have over 6 billion me's walking around who think everything revolves around them, you've got problems. You have over 6 billion of them. And what we have to do is come back to this truth. We have to come back to the bigness of God, the smallness of us, and humble ourselves before God and let God take his rightful place in our life on the throne with everything revolving around him. Ultimately, what we have to do is fall on the mercy of Jesus and ask him to forgive us and then let the finished work of the cross do a work in us. It's time to get me off of the throne. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Your word is amazing. Your name is majestic. Your name is power, but you are everything. And when we look around at all of this, by your hand, we're humbled because we realize who am I that you are mindful of me? And yet, in all of this, your promise to never leave or forsake and to be absolutely involved with every area of our life is amazing. I'm asking you to forgive us. Forgive me for putting myself in your place for elevating me and my abilities and my wants and my desires and my, my needs and my accomplishments and my, 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 my behaviors. God, forgive me for, for even thinking that those can be in any way fulfilling for me. I submit those and I lay those at your feet. I know they're filthy rags, but by the blood of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, you declare what is filthy clean and I'm asking you to cleanse me. I'm asking you to pour out courage on people hearing this this message to fall on your grace and your mercy and to ask for that forgiveness. I'm asking you to pour out salvation, that much more grace, that abundant grace and the declaration of righteousness through the finished work of the cross, through Jesus, what you did on the cross by spilling your blood and giving your life and walking out of the tomb on the third day means that we have resurrection power in us when we ask for your grace and your mercy and you declare us alive, you declare us righteous, you restore us, and I'm asking you to bring balance to our life. We desperately need you at the center of our life. We love you and we praise you. In the name above every name, that majestic name, who is Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love y'all. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at